You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. All right, so if you have a Bible, let's open up to 1 John. 1 John is way at the end of your Bible. It's uh, right after uh, 1 and 2 Peter. If you have to use the table of contents, there's no shame in that, okay? Don't be, don't be concerned about that. 1 John. And let me just give you a, a real quick overview, super quick overview. And you're, we're going to see this teased out as we go. John is really concerned um, about right doctrine and right living. He's really concerned about right doctrine and right living. There's, at this time in history, there's false teaching invading the church. We don't, scholars don't totally know what the essence of it was. There's some good guesses. But we know it has something to do with who Jesus is. Was he fully God, fully man? And so he's, John is writing this letter to ancient Christians to, to plead with them to stick to right doctrine. And then he's going to also plead with them to have their lives reflected by this right doctrine. If you say you believe right doctrine, it should look like something in the real world, okay? What does true Christianity look like if we have right doctrine? The ESV Study Bible summarizes well the the whole point of this letter, and it says this, God's will is for readers to receive the saving message of Christ's coming, right doctrine. Secondly, rejoice in the commands of Christ's teaching, right living, and revel in the love of the Father as it continually translates into Christian love for one another and ministry to the world, also right living. This is, quote, not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth, 1 John 3, 18. So that's kind of a summary of where we're going to go. There's also at the beginning of, of your booklet there, there is a, a, a little summary as well that we really encourage you to read. So let's open our Bibles to 1 John 1, 1 through 4. And I'm just going to read it for us. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So he starts off by saying that which was from the beginning. That which was from the beginning. What is that referring to? Well, we're going to see in a second that what he's referring to is is Jesus, right? But the question might then come, what beginning is he talking about? Like the, like the beginning of Jesus' human life? Like the beginning of his, like Christmas? Like him being born? Or the beginning of his ministry? What beginning? 
Well, I think we can take our cues from John's much, much longer documentation of Jesus' life, and that's the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And in his opening to that gospel, history account, historical account of Jesus, he does something very similar. And it shows us he has something much more cosmic, much more transcendent in mind. What does the opening of the gospel of John say, and how might that connect to this? Let's take a look real quick. This is the gospel of John right in the beginning of it. And he says this, similar language. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So, just taking our cues here, what John is, is talking about here is Jesus. The word is Jesus. And you would see that if you kept reading, okay, more explicitly. But he's talking about Jesus. So John has in mind here in our text, in 1 John, that the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the incarnation of God himself has broken into world history. And the thing that he wants to underscore in our text, the thing that he wants to underscore in our text, the one huge thing, if you look at our text, it's three things, heard, seen, touched. Can you see it? Heard, seen, touched. That's the first thing he wants to get across to his original readers and hearers and, and to us today, and that John and his, and his other apostles were witnesses witnesses he's just saying to his first audience reading this letter we experienced it we saw it we touched it our experience of jesus was not some sort of group hallucination it wasn't us just kind of being excited about some novel teaching from some guy who was kind of unique in what he said no god himself has come to dwell And we have heard it, seen it, touched it, felt it, smelled it, experienced it. All the ways that human beings experience things in the real world, we experience that of Jesus. God himself come to dwell. Look at the repetition, and we'll show it again as we continue, but just look at verse 1, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, looked upon, it touched. Verse 2, we have seen it. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard. I mean, he's bending over backwards to emphasize we are witnesses to this. Being a witness to something is more powerful than just hearing about something, right? Think about this in your own life. If you, like, I mean, I remember as a kid uh, witnessing a pretty dramatic car accident. And that's burned in my brain. I can still see it. And I was like six. 
Very, very different than if someone just described the car accident to me, right? I can still hear like the, 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 the amazing noise that that collision made. It was just this eruption of sound. Being a witness to something is more powerful than just hearing about something. And, and when you're a witness to something spectacular or super dramatic, you want to talk about it, right? You're going to talk about it. And when you talk about it, you say things like, and I was there. I saw it. You have to believe what I say because it was amazing, right? A few years ago, uh, a few years ago Nike came out with this campaign about LeBron James. And uh, you can see this picture on the screen if we have it here. And it just, it's just LeBron and it says, we don't have it? Okay. Well, a lot of you have seen this. If you just Google like LeBron, we are witnesses, you'll see this, you know, LeBron with his amazing wingspan and his bulging muscles and the Nike logo. And it says, we are witnesses. And I think in Cleveland or somewhere, there's this massive mural. Yeah, this massive mural. You've, you guys have seen it uh, of, of LeBron. You know, it's like 10 stories higher, whatever, and just huge. We are witnesses. Now, why did Nike spend all this money to make a campaign like that? Well, Nike is calling the world, ultimately, to not take for granted the greatness of LeBron. And what he was currently and is, I mean, this was like 2007, and I think of what's happened in the last 15 years with LeBron. Like, they're saying, even back then in 2007, don't take for granted the greatness, what is spectacular about this ultimate athlete. And guess what witnesses like this do If they do what Nike is asking them to do in soaking it all up and cherishing it, what do they do? We talk about it, right? We talk about it. They share it. They seek to persuade people of what they're convinced of, what they've witnessed. Now, I've never seen LeBron play. Probably never will. But I have seen this guy named Giannis play. Yep. (laughs) Preach. Giannis Antetokounmpo. I've seen him play uh, just down the road, right? About four times now. And last year, Emery and I went to a game, and uh, we saw Giannis score 50. Yeah, it was intense. And Giannis, because he's still so young, has a chance to be the greatest basketball player of all time. And Because he, he's, he's still getting better. He's just in his late 20s. He's just in his prime right now. And if that happens, where he exceeds Jordan and LeBron, guess what I'm going to Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to gather my grandkids someday. I'm going to say, guess what daddy got to see, or daddy, grandpa got to see. I'm already telling my kids what daddy's got to see. But, but get, my grandkids, guess what grandpa's got, got to see, got to witness? I got to see LeBron, uh, not LeBron, Giannis play. I got to see Giannis play in real time. He scored 50 on the Indiana Pacers on a Tuesday night in 2022. I was there. I saw it. Like, I'm going to seek to persuade my grandkids of what I believe because of what I witnessed. I will seek to persuade them of what I know to be true. Like, you can't, like, if, if, if Giannis, like, 
fully grows into what I think he can, like he will be the greatest basketball player of all, all time. And I will seek to persuade my grandkids that I was there and I saw it because of what I saw, he is definitively the greatest basketball player of all time. I was, I was a witness. And that's exactly what John is doing here. When he's so emphatic as he opens up his letter, he wants to persuade them of the truth of Jesus, that we can trust in Jesus because he's saying, I was there. You can trust my words because I was there. I saw it. I felt it. I experienced it. I touched it. Again, look at it. Verse 1, how... The emphasis, which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have looked upon, which we have touched. Verse 2, we have seen it. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard. Repetition for the sake of emphasis. You with me? He's got no possible motive for making this up. In the short term, his relationship with Jesus did not make his life better. All these guys died martyrs' deaths. No motive for making it up other than it being true. So that's the first thing John wants his readers, them then, us now, to embrace is that he was there. We can trust his testimony. And everything that follows in this letter can be trusted because I was there, because I saw it. It's changed me forever, he's saying. John's saying, I was a witness. Trust me. What else, that's the first thing he wants to get across. What else does he want to get across here? Look at verse 3 with me. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship. So remember, he's saying, I'm a witness, space, time, and history, it happened, I was there, and now what? Well, he, he's saying, we have to tell you about this. See that in verse three? We have to tell this about, we have to tell you about this. Well, why? Look at those two little words, so that. That's the answer to the why. See that in verse three? So that. So that what? So the fellowship. See the connection there? Look at it. Look at, look, put your eyes on the text. So that you too may have fellowship with us. Who's the us? The first apostles, the first eyewitnesses. So, so what, is, what, what, is, what is John doing here? He, he's saying that this testimony about Jesus is the basis of, on which we have deep relationships with one another in the church. That's called fellowship. The Greek word is koinonia. But, but notice, notice the distinction here. If we don't have right thinking about Jesus and his reality, there's going to be no reality of real Christian fellowship. Let me say that again. No right thinking about Jesus and his reality, which John is going to spend this whole letter testifying to, there's no reality of real Christian fellowship. So he's saying, believe me, I'm going to give you a testimony about Jesus, 
And, and if you receive that, man, we're going to have fellowship together. And I want that for us as a church, as ancient believers, right? He's saying, I, I witnessed it, I saw it, experienced it, and now I'm continuing to live a life of faith in, 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 the, in the face of or in, in light of all these things that I saw. And if you believe me, man, we're going to have spiritual fellowship. It's going to be beautiful, real spiritual fellowship. That's what it says in verse 3, right? So that you too may have fellowship with us. So think of this progression. And it has to do with the second half of verse 3. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So he's saying, our fellowship, first apostles, testified to all this. We believe Jesus. He's risen from the dead. Holy Spirit has come and indwelled us. And as a result, we have fellowship with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. So there's this spiritual fellowship that's happening through the power of the Holy Spirit living alive in us. Were these first witnesses? Imagine it's just like 12 guys and other people that were alive that were also witnesses at the time, this tiny little group of people, and they have this amazing spiritual fellowship through prayer, through the Holy Spirit, with God the Father and Jesus Christ. And the author is saying, so we want you, like we're over here having fellowship with God and, and Jesus, and we want you to come join us. We want you to come join us. This is beautiful. This is so good because it's all true. And in light of the truth, we're going to live a certain way. It's going to look a certain way. And he's saying, come have fellowship with us. Come have fellowship with us. But the point of entry is clear. The point of entry is clear to this beautiful fellowship that we have with the Father and the Son. It's do you believe us? Do you believe the truth about Jesus? Do you trust that Jesus is who he said he is? Because that's the point of entry to true fellowship. That's what verse 3 is saying. See, you can have friends, you can have relationships, but, but true Christian fellowship, that which has the power to change the world, can't happen until we all agree on who Jesus is and what he's done, and we get that from the first witnesses, John being one of them. And man, listen, church, like, this can be one of the sweetest things you've ever experienced. When this happens, it's still happening. Where people have deep communion with the Father and the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the word of God and prayer, and then that reality spills out of your life to other people as we embrace the humility that flows from the cross and the empty tomb and the love and the service and the sacrifice that, that flows from the cross and the empty tomb. Like that community, you read about it in the book of Acts, that community has the power to change the world. And think about it, it already has. Like that kind of community has been happening for a long time, for 2,000 years now. And the world is different as a result. It has happened. It will continue to happen. It's also why when the church acts the opposite of believing right doctrine that leads to right living, 
why it's so painful, right? It's, it's the depth of hypocrisy when we cover up sin or enable sin or pretend nothing is wrong. Like that's the opposite of true Christian fellowship. Like we don't have to be perfect in a Jesus community. It's never the case. That's not Christianity. But what Christianity is, is being honest about it. Being willing to own it. Being willing to repent when we fail. And the gospel gives us that freedom where we have nothing to hide, nothing to prove, nothing to lose, nothing to defend. If the gospel's true, and it is. If Jesus died for our sins, and he did. If he rose from the dead, and he did. And he's alive today by the power of his spirit living in us. Yes, he is. You have nothing to prove, nothing to lose, nothing to hide, nothing to defend. And that, if we live that, is going to make fellowship really, really beautiful. Really beautiful. And that's what John is exhorting to this first audience and us today. Let's finish with this last verse. Look at verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. We're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So John is saying, we as witnesses, as first leaders of baby little church plants scattered all over the ancient Middle East, when you believe us and have true fellowship with the Father, Son, and one another, that makes our joy just explode. He's saying nothing makes us happier than when we see you believing us and living in light of it. Declaration, demonstration. Believe what's declared and demonstrate that you believe what is, what is declared by how you live. I think about it like this. Some of you in the room are, are parents, like Kim and I. And nothing makes Kim and I happier than when we see our kids loving each other really well. And we went through a, a rough season in our family um, almost just over five years ago, no, four years ago. Um, when my daughter, my second daughter, Autumn, was diagnosed with epilepsy. And she would, from time to time, have seizures that were pretty dramatic. And if you've never seen an epileptic seizure, uh, there's different kinds, but the most, you know, kind of jarring, it's very hard to watch. And Autumn would be kind of, you know, not herself and uncontrolled and out, out of control. Um, and out of it, and usually on the ground, convulsions, and it's, it's really hard to watch. And thankfully, it doesn't happen hardly ever, or hasn't happened in a few years now, praise God for medical technology, and she's got the right medication where that's not really an issue anymore. But I always remember, like, one time when Autumn had a, had a seizure, um, our oldest, Taylor, he was just so sweet with her, and she was 
you know, she came out of the seizure and she was disoriented and, and, you know, totally exhausted after that. And he just sat by her in bed and he held her hand and he snuggled her and he spoke words of encouragement to her. And I just remember thinking, man, that's, that's beautiful. I mean, I, I remember it because it's, it's, it's a beautiful picture of my kids loving each other really well and not being selfish, being selfless. And when Kim and I see that in our kids, and I can tell other stories, other stories when they're not doing that as well, as we all know, right? Um, but man, when, when they do do it well, it, it's poignant, it strikes us, and as parents, man, it just makes us happy, brings us joy, right? It completes our joy. And again, that's a picture of what John is saying here. It's like he's saying, I'm the spiritual dad for you guys. And he's writing to his spiritual kids. And he's saying, like, as a pioneer leader of this early Christian church, as an apostle and eyewitness to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, it's like John is saying, if you trust what I'm telling you, you live in light of it, and, and through these things that we call the one another's of the New Testament, like love each other, serve each other, forgive each other, when that happens and it looks like deep, thriving fellowship, community, he's just saying nothing makes me happier. It completes our joy, verse 4. Nothing is, is better than seeing right thinking lead to right living. Like, that's a beautiful church. And, man, I know I can speak for our elders, kind of like the spiritual fathers of, of any local church. But I speak for our elders when I say that when we see us doing this, it, it does the same thing for us, right? It brings deep joy, like what John is writing about here. Like, just one example. Um, think of our serves, like I talked about at the beginning here. Um, I got to go and, and, and be a part of the Elizabeth house where we, where we build relationships and, and just have conversation with single moms in kind of a, like a crisis residency home. And just seeing like some new faces there. Um, I've been showing up to that for a long time. And just seeing new faces show up and engage and engage really well, it's a small thing, but it's a huge thing. And that just made me so happy just to see different Vine members taking that seriously, just throwing off selfishness and, and seeking to be selfless as they embrace their identity as a Christian and they're living in light of that. Man, it just made my heart happy. It really did. I, I relate to what John is writing here. And so we just call us, man, let's just stay at it. We're, we're doing a great job. Let's stay at it. Let's stay at it. Make my joy complete. And look at verse 4 one more time. It's just, it's, he's saying, you know what I'm writing this? We are writing these things so that our joy can be complete. He's writing this so that he has the privilege of seeing this church flourish. That's what he's writing. He's like, I want this church to flourish. And when it does, I get a lot of joy out of it. And I want that for me because of what it produces in you and the glory that it gives to God. That's what John's saying. So what have we seen today? We've seen that God himself became the man Jesus. John is testifying to it as a witness. And he's saying when you believe 
when you believe him and trust what he says about Jesus as we continue in 1 John, it's going to lead to fellowship, to community that's deep and beautiful. The gospel always creates beautiful community. And if it doesn't, we have a lot to repent of. And this deep community brings satisfying joy to those who participate in it and those who lead it. And may God help us today and every day by the power of his word and his spirit to keep doing this. He is doing it among us. Believe it. And let's keep at it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and how it leads us and guides us. Lord, thank you so much for these little booklets. I pray that um, you would use them to just instill in us uh, at deeper levels the truth of your word and what it means for our lives. We ask that you use it by the power of your spirit. Father, thank you for the evidence of of beautiful community that's happening in this church. And Lord, I pray that we would continue to see that and that we would continue to have stories to tell of your reality alive in us because of the cross and the empty tomb and your spirit sent to live in us as believers. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's see if we have a question or two here. Great question. So often we are exposed to greatness on a regular basis for a long time. We get used to it and don't notice it as much anymore, or we take it for granted. If you see a rainbow every day, it can become mundane. This seems to happen in faith, too. How do we keep or recover that awe and excitement throughout life? How do we keep or recover that awe and excitement throughout life? Well, the reality is it's a challenge. Um, we are sinful human beings, and it's hard for us at all times to have our emotions correspond to truth. Like, being in awe of something is an emotional response. And sometimes, you know, emotions are just there. You're not, they're not calculated, they just kind of happen, right? And the Bible speaks about this a lot, The Psalms say, come into his courts with thanksgiving. Enter into his temple with gladness. So thanksgiving and gladness, those are emotions, right? Sometimes I I feel a disconnect between the reality and how I feel. And one of the first things we can do is just acknowledge it and seek to repent of it. And then simply ask the Lord to change our heart, right? So recognition is the first thing. I mean, the question implies recognition, right? Sometimes I I see a a sunset. Like, I think C.S. Lewis said something like, we see every day what we would pay a million dollars to see if we didn't have it. 
like a, a beautiful sunset is so amazing. Like if you saw that for the first time and you'd never seen it before, it would blow your mind. But like we see beautiful sunsets all the time. So in that moment, for me, what I might do is like, Lord, um, practice the discipline of thanksgiving. Like the Bible says over and over and over, an evidence of the Holy Spirit in us is giving thanks. Give thanks in all circumstances, First Thessalonians 5. So I may have to just preach to myself a little bit more than I listen to myself. I'm not going to choose to listen to my emotions, I'm, but, but I'm going to seek to recognize, is there something here that's beautiful that my, that my emotions should correspond to? So sunset, I'm driving down the highway, sunset, and I could just be like, whatever, I'm thinking about sending a text message, well, not when I'm driving, but like I'm thinking about um, whatever. Sunset over here, it's like, wait a second. Can I have, like, God, give me, this might just be a discipline in all of life. God, give me a heart that has the ability to discern what are the things I should be thanking you for or be dialed into, and what are the things that I shouldn't. So the sunset, amazing God creator, God sustainer, I want to worship you for that. Lord, I recognize that my heart is, is, is off from that right now, but I want you to help me. I'm just asking you to help me. So not super profound, but I think it will help us um, trend in the direction of this question where, man, I want to recover that awe and excitement. It's hard as fallen human beings to maintain that for a lifetime, but the battle is in the recognition. So can you recognize there's no awe or excitement? And at that point, we go to the Lord, we go to his word and I mean, I was, honestly, you guys, I was doing that this morning. I was, I was struggling with this question this morning. Like, God, would you restore unto me the joy of my salvation? That's the Psalms. That's David. And I was praying that this morning. I'm not a super Christian up here, right? I struggle with this just like y'all do. And so... By God's grace, hopefully I can recognize that I don't want to stand up here as an ultimate hypocrite in front of you guys and just running through some, some Christian drills. I want to actually feel it. I'm not feeling it 100% this morning. It feels more like a job than a joy this morning. So I'm, I'm just, I'm just Lord, I'm, stop, I'm sitting in my chair in my office. Lord, um, would, you, would you do something in my heart? and just Because I, I feel like I can't control it, but I'm just bringing it to you and I'm, I'm asking you. That's what I would say. Um, one more. Loving someone well is not always affirming. Sometimes it's correcting. How can, we be best, how can we best respond when our love is taken as judgment or even condemnation, even when it, within the church? That's a great question. We can't always control people's responses. So that's what, like, um, like if I love my kids, I will correct them. It's horribly unloving to just let my kids just go their own way, right? That's just parenting for 18 years. Um, same in the church. When someone is um, deviating from right doctrine that's leading to living that is not in accordance with the right doctrine, um, we, the Bible gives lots of information about how we handle that. 
But when the response comes, no, you're wrong and you're judging me and uh, you're actually a jerk and um, how dare you? What do you do then? Well, sometimes um, we follow a protocol um, that's found in Matthew 18 where you go one-on-one and if they won't listen, we, we hey, take another tr- trusted brother, brother or sister, two-on-one, no repentance. We alert the church. That sometimes happens tragically in a family meeting. And then uh, if there's still no repentance, um, that we deem that person an unbeliever. And we remove them from the form of fellowship of the church. So, I mean, I I find myself um, saying to people over and over again, like, let's just follow the script. Let's just follow the script. Like, God has given us his word for a reason. Let's just do what it says. One-on-one, another person involved, church involved. And oftentimes it doesn't go perfectly, but a lot of times it does. Oftentimes that first step Um, Things can really get worked out. But the question is, what happens if that just doesn't happen? Well, ultimately, you're not in charge of someone else's response. You're only in charge of your obedience. You with me? You're not in charge of someone else's response. And that's where we get all screwed up and nervous and anxious. And I've been there trying to control their response. I cannot control their response. Only the Holy Spirit can control that. But I can control my own obedience. And this is sometimes where you might need to get someone else involved, and you don't want this to turn into gossip. This, can, this kind of thing turns into gossip so easy, and it destroys the church. It's horrible. But it might be like, I need to go to my wife and be like, hey, uh, like I need one or two trusted people. I'm not going them, to them to be gossipy. I'm truly going to them to be like, am I off base here? Like, I think my timing and my tone is appropriate. I don't think I, I came with words that were super aggressive. Um, it's still not going well. That can really help as you pursue obedience in these things. But sometimes it's just not, never going to go well. And the Bible talks about this, and that's normal. And you have to be concerned with your conscience before the Lord and your obedience. Um, there's so much more that could be said here. So I know there's stories in this room of people thinking about their scenario right now, and I'm giving like blanket 30,000-foot principles, but there may be much more to say in an individual situation. So if you're struggling with something like this, please come and talk to me, talk to one of the elders, talk to your city group leader, um, and we could kind of get into the nitty-gritty of this.